0: Hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga, and today we are joined by Rob Levin. Uh, Rob started his career at Top Cow, rising from editor to vice president of editorial, working on hit titles, which played in the darkness. He also spearheaded Top Cow's pilot season and most recently wrote the Top Cow series, Bushido, and is an editor at Comic Book Resources. And he joins us today. How are you, Rob? I'm doing well. How are you, Kevin? Good, good. Thanks. Um, now, I, at first, I just wanted to find out how you got started in the industry, because I know you started off at Top Cow as an intern and just kind of rose up the ranks.
1: Exactly. Um, I ended up, you know, I, I read comics growing up, and I ended up getting a DVD called Countdown to Wednesday mm-hmm. that I think no one remembers because it wasn't that great, but it was <laughs> all about how to break into the comic industry. Really? It's the kind of thing. I saw an ad for it, probably in a Top Cow comic. A company called Space Dog that used to share office space with Top Cow produced it. Mm-hmm. So I bought that, and um, there you know, there were people like Mark Wade on there, and I think Paul Dini was on it. And one of them, probably Wade, mentioned, "Oh, you know, you can intern at a, at a comic company." And I was like, "Interning? Huh? Like, that's that's decent." And I had actually just moved to LA. I did my freshman year at Towson university in Baltimore mm-hmm. and left because I wanted to you know studying film and I wanted to be a little bit closer to the action since Baltimore isn't exactly a hotbed of film production right so I decided to move out here and you know was looking for how do I get closer to what I want to do and I'd interviewed when Film Threat was still around they were like making the transition from um, magazine to internet site right. and then they I don't know they did something weird they like wanted to hire me and then said they couldn't because they were working out of their houses Something bizarre. So I was looking for anything, you know, into closer what I wanted to do, and just found Top Cow was in L.A. and they had contact info for everybody on the site. So I emailed their the managing editor, which was Renee Gearlings at the time, and I think their film guy, and maybe one other person. They had different people you could speak to about different, you know, departments.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And eventually they, you know, emailed me back and said like, Hey, why don't you come in? And I started in editorial. And then I moved over when I hadn't screwed up anything too badly. They needed some help in production, so I had to learn all the fun things like Quark and InDesign. Mm-hmm. Did work in production, and then they moved me back over to editorial. And from there, I just kept sticking around and getting some promotions, and was eventually running the editorial side for a couple of years. Cool.
0: Um, now, how do you switch over from editorial to also writing?
1: Well, I grew up, you know, always wanting to write and. You know, tinkering around with certain things.
0: Well, I meant specifically at Top Cow. I mean, getting your shot at writing a comic book from being working in editorial.
1: It's fun. It's funny. We had not any official policy about you know hiring people that were on staff to mm-hmm. write things, but I sort of had my own qualms with that because I felt like if I was going to hire myself to write something, that means there's probably somebody better out there who's not getting hired because <laughs> you know I I was being nepotistic with myself so I never really did it and then when we first um, discovered Michael Broussard who drew the darkness for a number of years he was intern we had penciling interns the same way we had editorial interns and things like that where you know they would be helping out with backgrounds or you know cleaning up stuff when when people needed help in crunch times and Michael needed something to draw beyond just like the backgrounds and the little tests that Mark Silvestri would give him And we needed something like within a few days. And I said, look, I can write something, you know, I'll get you four pages in the morning. And that was sort of the first thing I wrote for them in terms of officially. But yeah, it was just most of my writing happened after I went freelance. So I Mm -hmm. wasn't writing and editing specifically at the same time. Right. But yeah, they they knew it was always something I wanted to do. And eventually it was just like there wasn't anyone that was going to write that script quicker than me. Because right. We didn't have anyone else lined up. So I just said, I got it. Let's do it.
0: Nice. Um, now, you're a fellow Trojan. You went to USC film school like I
1: did. Um, how on. how That's what I'm supposed on. to say, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I'm doing uh, that little two finger thing they tell us to do right the now. V for victory? Yes, the V for victory.
0: Um, now, how does writing a comic book script and writing a screenplay, how are they similar and how are they different?
1: In both cases, you know, you have general storytelling principles that all sort of, you know, go back to Aristotle. So, you know, in the, in the most broad sense, a story is a story. And, you know, you're writing scripts in each case, and in a screenplay it gets filmed and turned into something, and in a comic it gets drawn, you know, filtered through the artist and turned into something else. So, you know, there's the sort of mechanical, it is the, the step between your brain and the final product in terms of producing a script, but the actual, you know, construction is much different because in film, you know, you're it's a tougher question to answer than I thought. Because <laughs> there are so many little nuances. Sure. You know, in, in comics, I don't know if you've read a ton of scripts, but like mm-hmm. you've got a guy like Alan Moore who will literally write for a page and a half right. about a single panel describing to you, you know, there's a guy and he walks into someone's study. And then he's going to tell you every book that's on every shelf and, you know, where, you know, where he got the globe that's on his desk and the kind of lamp and all that kind of stuff. And that's all important because if it matters to the story, the artist has to know that otherwise they're just going to come up with it. Mm -hmm. Whereas in film, you're actually, you know, limited by budgetary constraints or location itself, you know, in, in, Comics, people are fond of saying that, you know, your your explosion, your world-spanning epic costs the same as just pencil lead versus in a movie, like everything you put on screen costs money. So the more complicated it is, you know, the more you have to manufacture things or find antiques and things like that, the more it costs. So, you know, there are sort of a lot of practical concerns when figuring out, you know, how much you need to tell an artist. To get exactly what you want on the page and in the story uh, without also destroying their will to want to draw the page, because you don't want to just make it laborious and they're going, you know, they're referencing 500 things for a single page and it's just a slog for them. You don't want to do that, but you do have to give them enough so that, you know, they're not just inventing and taking things that don't need to be in the story and putting them in there. Right. Whereas film, I think you can be a little bit looser and film scripts certainly in in my opinion tend to move more. They're they're more fun to read. It's funny I've been working in comics for a decade and I still don't really like reading scripts mm-hmm. whereas, you know, screenplays I can read all the time and think, "Wow, this is really cool and great and enjoy them even though they're also not the finished product." Right. So, it's like I said, it's a tough question to answer, but there's definitely a comic script is like you're telling a story to a buddy. And then he's going to help you tell that story, Mm -hmm. whereas film is, you know, you writing something that then goes to, you know, dozens or sometimes hundreds of people and becomes a completely different thing. And obviously there's, you know, the director and everyone else involved. And that's a whole other thing. Whereas, you know, with comics, it's much more intimate. And that sort of does play into how you approach just even writing the script.
0: Right, right. Now I've seen in some comic scripts they actually put in pictures. I've seen them, you know, go on the internet, right, research something like a building or something, something that they want to put in. You know, they want to give the artist as much reference as possible. Do you <laughs> put pictures and things in your scripts?
1: I've done both, where I've actually put the pictures in, but you know, more often I just use a bunch of hyperlinks, which has become incredibly common. I remember it used to be, you know, it was all just Google this. And now people, they they don't want to be lazy. Writers want to actually show the artist, you know what? We understand you're going to have to take the time to actually draw it. So what I'm going to do is show you, you know, as many angles as you need to to get the gist of it and then do some of the legwork for you so that it, again, you don't want to weigh down the artist with so much that he doesn't feel like he's bringing anything to it. So if you over-describe everything or you over-reference things, especially if they're not essential, um, That's just going to make it not as fun for them. And at the end of the day, it takes a really long time to draw a comic, whereas it might only take me, you know, a day, a couple days to write a script. Mm -hmm. It's going to take them, you know, a few weeks, a month, whatever it is, to draw it. So I want to make it as fun and as inviting and also as freeing in terms of them feeling like they can bring something to it. But certainly, you know, if I need someone to be carrying a certain type of gun be in a certain location and it, you know, needs to look authentic. Absolutely. I'll, I'll give them reference. I'll provide them with as much as I can to just say like here, I'm not married to this hundred percent, but this is what I'm thinking. If you have a better idea, let's discuss. But yeah, absolutely. References is, is key. Right.
0: Now, um, having been an editor from, you know, at Top Cow, at Archaea, at Image, um, what kind of mistakes do you find uh, a lot of newer
1: comic book writers make? The biggest one is probably people forgetting that it's a static medium. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have moving pictures. We have single images, you know, in each panel. And many people try to describe multiple actions like, you know, he opens the door, walks through, puts his keys on the counter and, you know, takes off his jacket in one panel. And as you know, that's impossible. All he can do is, you know, have a foot through the door or take off his jacket or put something down he can't do all of those things because it's physically impossible in a static image. Right. And I think that then leads to trying to figure out the pacing of a story. And that's something that, you know, even though I have been doing this for a long time, you know, been reading and writing comics for a while, it's still really tough to know if you've got that perfect balance. Like pacing to me is the biggest issue from a creative standpoint for me. Because I'm always second guessing, you know, is this the right moment to show here? Is it better to, you know, jump a moment ahead, a moment behind, or, you know, even expand a sequence by adding more of those small moments. So it's really tough. And I think that's something that can really only come from having, you know, written a few scripts and then having people draw them and really seeing like your choices brought to life through someone else's choices Mm -hmm. will inform so much more about your writing than pretty much anything else. So I think it's really easy to to fall in love with your scripts and say like, wow, you know, I've done great work. And then you see someone draw it and you go like, Oh, I can totally see how what I wrote was either unclear or not the right thing or didn't lead to the right moment on the page. And then you sort of adjust. And I think some guys are great at pacing. And I think other people who are even good writers still struggle with that. You know, professional writers, not just people breaking in.
0: Sure. No, absolutely, And
1: sometimes it can be the artist's fault. You can write a perfect script and they'll, you know, interpret it a different way or, you know, draw it just sort of at the wrong moment. And then you have something that doesn't quite sync up with the best possible version of that, you know, page or scene or whatever.
0: Right. Um, now, one of the most common and most difficult to answer questions that we get um, emailed or uh, is as an aspiring comic book writer, how do they get out there again we always say it's easy for an artist to go to a convention show their portfolio even email pages to an editor you can look at them and within 10 seconds you know if this person has talent or not um but nobody seems to want to read comic book scripts um how does an aspiring comic book writer get noticed get read that kind of thing i mean you had uh I don't want to say great in, but your way of getting, going about it, getting an internship and working your way up from ground level seems like a great thing, but I don't, but a lot of comic book aspiring comic book writers may not be able to do that. Or I'm not even sure, uh, you know, if, if that's even as still as much of an option, unless they want to move to New York and intern at Marvel or something like that. Um, I think what, what do you recommend or what do you see out there? Um, uh, new comic book writers coming to the business, how do they get their start?
1: The best thing you can do is to be someone who's made a comic book. And that means finding an artist, getting them to draw your story and then submitting, you know, that finished story, comic, whatever. It doesn't matter if it's a short story or, you know, a full length miniseries, graphic novel, whatever, as showing that you can get something done. And also, you know, there, there's two things that does. And one, it shows you can, you can finish something. You're not just going to be a guy who pitches and pitches and pitches. And then when we need you to write it, it takes you forever. Um, And secondly, it shows, you know, what an artist is going to do with your material. Like I talked about, you know, with the last question, it's really easy to, you know, write a script. It's another thing to have that script drawn and be exactly the story you want. Because some of that is, you know, the artist and whether or not you have a good artist. And a lot of that is you as the writer being able to communicate your idea for the story to that artist So, you know, no one wants to read a script. I said earlier, I really don't like reading comic scripts. They're just not, they're not meant to be, you know, reading documents. They're basically blueprints for a comic and they're sort of, there's, there's no flow to them and they're just not great. And certainly, you know, newer comic book writers may not have, you know, the same flair and and skill as some seasoned guys. So their scripts are going to be even harder to read. Right. And not to mention the time factor. you know it takes thirty seconds to look at a page, maybe even less before you know if somebody's got talent. Whereas writing, you know you have to read a story, mm-hmm. whether it's six pages or twenty two or longer, it takes time to get through that. And editors and publishers just don't have that time, and they don't want to take the chance on someone new because they have you know one hundred, two hundred guys they can go to that have already done it. So when you become a guy that's already done it, suddenly you're not just trying to break in. You may have self-published it, you may have printed it at, you know, Kinko's, if Kinko's is even still around, FedEx Kinko's, whatever it's called. But the thing is, it's done. You've shown somebody, I wrote this, I found an artist, it's drawn. Like, read my comic. It's so much easier to read a comic than a script. So that is absolutely the single best advice I can give anyone is go make a comic. There are just as many hopeful artists who want to make it in this industry as there are writers. There may even be more artists than writers because, you know, uh, a writer can do four or five books a month, you know, professional writers, Mm -hmm. but they can't have one guy drawing all those. So there's a lot of really talented artists out there. There's a lot of artists who want to make it find them, find them at a convention, find them online. That's, that's the way to do it. Right. Um, now,
0: seeing if somebody is able to find a writer or find an artist they're able to put together an online comic because they can do it online even sure um as an editor looking for a new talent possibly seeing their online comic what else would they have to have or show you or could they be hired solely on the merits of that online comic or would they have to have like some specs from you know Other comics, you can see their voice, you know, that they're able to work within the parameters of another character, you know, Batman or Witchblade or whatever it happens to be. Does that help them at all if they have spec scripts from, you know, established characters already or not? It's pretty. Spec
1: scripts, I don't think so. It's a little different, you know, than than like TV where, you know, you need the spec to show that you get the formula of a show or the voice of a showrunner in comics you sort of don't want that. Like if I could replace, you know, Ron Mars is writing Rich Witchblade right now. Mm-hmm. If I could just replace him and you wouldn't notice that he was missing, I guess that would be a cool skill set for me to have, like I can write like Ron. Right. But it's not necessarily a good thing for the comic itself, you know? Like you don't hire me to get the Ron voice. You hire right. Ron to get the Ron voice. You hire me to get my voice. Right. So, you know, specs like that you know, it's one thing if, if like, the Top Cow Talent Hunt, where they're looking for people to do, you know, stories and artifacts, things <laughs> like that, where you want to fit into a universe, and you right. sort of want to pre-screen them for, like, do they get these characters? But it's not necessarily, you know, necessary. Right. We should definitely edit that line. It's not necessarily necessary. <laughs> um, but... Uh no, you can get hired off pretty much anything. You know, if you, if you have one great short story, Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to give you an ongoing series or anything like that. But if I really love it, I'm going to reach out and say, Hey, I dug this, you know, what else are you working on? Is there anything I can read? Um, And if I'm looking for pitches on something specific or general, like, you know, pilot season was sort of open in terms of you can pitch any concept you want. It's all going to be, you know, original stuff. So just do whatever. Um, you know, that's that's fine. And look, the, the pitch then becomes the next thing. Like showing that you've written something is step one. And then showing that you can properly communicate something else in a sort of limited, extremely limited format, because again, no one has the time to read full things. So I you know, I don't want to read your next script, but I do want to read your next pitch. And that pitch right. should be as short as possible. There's another, you know, maxim in the industry where people say, Nothing kills a pitch faster than a staple. and right. it's true. if you can if you can one page your next pitch again i'm not I'm not gonna greenlight the book based on that. But if you can sell me in a single page, okay we're gonna we're gonna talk for a while. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the story in in depth because then I'm invested. But you know, giving me ten pages to read right out of the gate of of text, you know, I can't even see the characters because it's just words right that That's a much uh, harder hill to climb.
0: right, right. Um, you, you had mentioned just a minute ago pilot season at Top Cow. I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. What was the impetus to start something like pilot season? Just almost like a reality show, competition <laughs> show uh, uh, in comic books.
1: Well, the, the voting was not something I had anything to do with and I was never actually a fan of. And then when I participated as a writer, I was definitely not a fan of the voting <laughs> because my, my book uh, was the runner-up and was not selected that year. Right. So pilot season began... There was a time where I was, you know, young go-getter and wanted to, you know, change all these things and make things wonderful and super perfect. And in my, you know, naivete, I put together a document that I gave to Matt Hawkins, who's the president of TopCow. Mm-hmm. And I said, like, hey, here are, you know, six things. I don't remember how many points I had that I think we can and, and should do. And they're sort of, they're not huge risk. They're not like nothing is terrible. And you know, I think there's benefit to all of them. So I'd like to discuss. And two of those ideas were, um, sort of what what became the first pilot season, and then what pilot season morphed into. Um, so one of them was once a year dusting off old properties, just so we had you know a new take. Whether that was to actually shop it as an IP, or just to make sure you know our fans who are clamoring for whatever it was at the time, you know, Cyberforce or Aphrodite 9, which are both back now, but have had several periods where it was years and years between anything getting published with them. Mm -hmm. It was like, look, let's just do a one-shot. It's all they need. You know, you do a story, you bring in an interesting, you know, creator. It doesn't have to be a complete retcon, but you get, you know, a fun, done-in-one, contained story. And that way, you know, you've got something new every year. Mm -hmm. And then the other one was to actually do an anthology of brand-new concepts I think at that time, I think I wanted to call it something like Springboard, something dumb, but Mm -hmm. I described it as a pilot season like concept where essentially we trot out, you know, four, five, six things, put them in an anthology, so you can sort of keep the cost down and get people to try, you know, a eight to ten dollar book if it's got six brand new concepts in it. And then you actually, you know, see what people respond to. Mm -hmm. But of course, just seeing what they respond to, I guess, by you know, online comments isn't the greatest thing. So I think it was Philip Sablik and, and Matt figured out that, you know, we should have people vote. It should be like American Idol.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I said, like, eh, OK, I, so I get to do new stuff. That's all I care about. You guys deal with the voting. I'll deal with bringing in new ideas. And, right. and that's sort of the, the genesis of pilot season.
0: Cool. Um, now, switching back to screenplays um, for a second, well, screenplays and comics, you wrote a script. Uh, a comic called Bushido for Top Cow, which which I've read, although we've talked about it briefly, but maybe we can go a little more into it was sort of a screenplay turned comic book. But you didn't really resource the screenplay per se. So <laughs> yes. we can talk a little about the creative process of, of creating a comic based on a screenplay, but not really dealing with the screenplay at all.
1: Okay, so Bushido was a heroes and villains entertainment project, uh, and they're the same guys I did Netherworld with, also at Top Cow. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they come up with concepts, and they do treatments or outlines or you know flesh it out sort of as far as they want to take it, and then they bring on people like me, or uh, I think Bill Harms. Did Bill do a book for them? I can't even remember now. They, they bring on other writers and have them actually, you know, either change the story or run with their outline. And Bushido was actually the first book I was going to do for them before Netherworld was even on the table. And they ran to something where the Heroes and Villains guys are also uh, managers. They manage writers out here in Hollywood. And they had received a script not from one of their clients, And it had a either similar premise or similar something. And someone, I'm assuming their lawyer, told them, you know, to hold off, like they needed to deal with that before they could actually move forward and, you know, I guess protect themselves legally. So it actually was something that um, initially Brian Hill, who I co-wrote Netherworld with, we were working on Bushido first. And we had done, you know, a decent amount of development in terms of giving our notes on their initial outline and, and, you know, saying like, here's what we want to do and some things we want to add and change. And then it just got shelved for, I, I think it was close to like a year and a half between like when we said we wanted to do it mm-hmm. and when work actually started on it. So it was a long time. Now we did Netherworld a couple months after because, you know, we all wanted to do a project together and it was just dragging on forever. And it was like, Hey, you know, we have this other thing. It's totally ours. Let's just do it. Um And we, so we did Netherworld first. but yeah, so with Bushido, there was a script. And I know that when we when we started back up again, the the problems or you know, the legalities of it all had been dealt with, but that script never entered into anything. Nothing was changed in terms of you know, the story. Take out this, take out that, don't use a name, don't use anything like that. So I, you know, when I saw the proofs on issue one, that, that line was in there, you know, based on the screenplay, I think it's called Rising Sun or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the entirety of what I know about the script <laughs> is that there was a script right? and right. it did go to the guys at one point, but it was not a point of reference for me. Mm-hmm. Their, their outline, their, their concept was what I used to write it. So I don't know how much crossover there was, but yeah, it definitely wasn't me. Adapting someone else's script into a comic the comic as far as I'm concerned is a you know wholly original thing based on their idea
0: Right, I gotcha So uh, um, now what do you think of the trend you know of some screenwriters going out and creating a comic book based on their script um, With the sole intent on making
1: it more sellable as a script Well, that's the, the, the way you phrase that with the sole intent mm-hmm. is is the problem I have I don't have a problem with somebody, you know, writing a screenplay, shopping it around, not getting traction and saying, like, you know what, I'm going to take another run at this and I'm going to do it as a comic mm-hmm. because, you know, I want this story to be out there, period. Or I'm having a hard time showing people, you know, this complicated world I've come up with. Right. You know, there's a lot of sci-fi scripts, I think, could probably use that, that comic boost just to show people, like, this is what we're going for. Right, you know, it's visual not visual of the world, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not easy for a lot of writers. Most writers I know can't draw. There's some people that are blessed and, you know, more power to them, but I can't draw whatsoever. Right. And, you know, I can scour the Internet and find, you know, so-so reference for various things, but there's nothing quite like getting a really brilliant artist to, to bring your vision to life and to show people this is what I'm about. This is what this story is about. You know, now do you get it? Visuals are very powerful. The mm-hmm. same way you can find an artist quicker than you can find a writer, because it's just easier to spot. If that's the difference between someone getting your script and then just going like, eh, it seems a little, you know, weird or clunky or whatever reason they pass, right, then I'm okay with it as long as there is, you know, care and consideration for it being a comic and not just storyboards. Right. A lot of companies that have come and gone. And some that are still around today that just do that—they they they print you know quote unquote storyboards, but they're you know disguised as comics, and that I'm not a fan of. I think you know it's it's disrespectful to readers, it's disrespectful to you know creators if you're not the one doing it yourself. Hiring an artist to come on and just you know help you draw your movie just so you can make money, and you don't really care about the comic—that's not cool. And everybody sort of preempts that with. Oh, you know, we're really comics guys, and you know, we love this. And sometimes it's true, you know, that's cool. But most of the time, and I think it's pretty obvious, you you can tell most of the time that's not the case. They're just, you know, using comics to make money because they've seen it's a nice stepping stone. You know, there's a lot of comics being adapted. There's a lot of comic movies succeeding at the box office, so they want to get in on that action. And I think that's that's what I have an issue with. I have no problem with somebody saying. I really want this story out there. I want it to have a life. And, you know, I'm going to try six different ways to get it out there. That's cool. Right.
0: Um, What's your favorite comic book property that's been adapted to film or television?
1: (laughs) Now, there's a chance that I haven't actually seen whatever my favorite is. Because I will have you know that I only just a few months ago caught up on the Marvel movies. But I'm not caught up in the sense that you might think... I've seen all of the first ones. So I've now seen I've seen Iron Man twice. I've okay. seen uh, Hulk and I just watched for the first time Captain America and Thor, but I still have not watched The Avengers because I'm that up to date Wait, wait what? Movies. Really? I am, oh, that I am has the change, worst my friend. I am the worst consumer of of media in a timely fashion. But you're in both of these industries. What what, oh, what is this? Oh, believe me. Look, and working for CBR, you know, I have plenty of the stuff, you know, spoiled for me. And I hate spoilers, but I just, you know, for me, I'm not about chasing whatever's hot or, you know, trying to be their opening weekend or anything like that. Like, I just want good stories. So, right. you know, if I watch something from the 50s tomorrow, that's fine. You know, whether it's the first time I've seen it or the, the 10th. So, I, you know, I don't need to see the Avengers today. Like, I just want good stories, period. Avengers uh, is really good, though. Well, I, I look, I, I'm told it's great, but here's the other thing like a completest, you know, comic book mentality that I have, yeah. I wanted to see everything in order. So I had uh, seen Iron Man and I had seen Hulk when they came out, but then I didn't want to, you know, not see Cap and Thor, which I missed because they came out during the summer and I was busy or, you know, whatever the reason. Right. And then, you know, it's sort of like, okay, well it's been long enough. Now I want to watch all of them. And it's just the, the investment and the time. And, you know, it's easier to, 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 and watch random Seinfeld reruns <laughs> than it is to watch you know eight hours of Marvel movies. That's true, that's true. Um, but sorry, I'm, I completely forgot your question. Because no, so I'm, well, oh, my uh, favorite, my favorite comic book um, adaptation,
0: film or television of the ones you happen to have seen,
1: <laughs> <laughs> of the few I've seen, right? Um, hmm. Does it have to be something I've read? Or can it just be something I've seen the movie of? No, it could just be something
0: we've seen the movie of,
1: I've I mean, I really love Road to Perdition, which I know most people probably don't even know. I mean, comic yeah, people sure. know, but yeah, yeah. I don't think a lot of mainstream people know that was a comic. And I've never read the comic, but I think the movie is just brilliant. I think, you know, pretty much all of what Sam Mendes, the director, does is phenomenal. And I think that was Conrad Hall's right. last movie. He's the director of photography. Right. So it's just, you know, gorgeous looking movie. Um, you know, I don't know if that's my favorite cuz I I'm sort of blanking. I sort of have that giant, you know, black hole of knowing I haven't seen the Avengers. Right. But um, have you seen the Batman films, the Nolan Batman films? Yeah, okay, yeah, Sure. And I love them. You know, I even like Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not the Dark Knight, but it's sure. it's still, you know, he's a tremendously talented filmmaker and you know, if you want to pick the plot, sure, you can find things not to like, but in terms of just you know, telling a story and, and keeping you with it and just being emotionally connected to it, I was right there with that movie the whole time. So yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of, of the Batman movies. I haven't seen Man of Steel, unsurprisingly, um, <laughs> and I know that's that's a super polarizing movie for a lot of people. But, right, right. But you know, it's again, it's it's on my list. I'll check it out at some point. And, you know, if I see it a year from now or five years from now, I'm probably not going to be as angry as everyone else now was right. only getting, you know, I can't believe they made Superman do this and I can't believe that. You know, I'll see it and I'll judge it sort of in its own little bubble.
0: I think you can just stay away from Green Lantern and I think you'd be okay. I've seen Green Lantern. Oh boy.
1: I, I watched that uh when it was on, you know, HBO Go or one of the streaming services. Right. And I was not a fan.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you probably joined legions of, of comic book and moviegoers, apparently, that were probably not fans. It's just totally and
1: i like that they had a uh, peter sarsgaard in there that guy's awesome
0: yeah no and i like ryan reynolds i mean i thought the cast was great i just i don't know it yeah. wasn't wasn't for me um i guess i just wanted to touch base one last sort of question about comic book conventions is it worth aspiring com- comic writers to sort of network at comic book conventions in your opinion
1: Absolutely. I mean, not just for the, you know, aspiring writer who wants to meet artists and find someone to draw a script, but just in terms of getting to know the players in the industry and players being everybody from, you know, actual creators, writers, artists, editors to, you know, marketing people, the intern at some publishers, so you can sneak a pitch in, you know, through the back door or anything like that. But I think knowing these people because the industry is so small can only benefit you. You know, I, I have plenty of people that I've never actually worked with, but I've become friends with because we've hung out at conventions or we have mutual friends and, you know, we've met that way. And, you know, they're great people. And whether they're, you know, my favorite creators or not doesn't matter. But, you know, they know they can, we can talk about stories and you know, we can pitch each other stuff. And it's just, it, it is such, such a small community mm-hmm. that, you know, not, not even like trying to be a part of that, but just knowing who everybody is the second you turn pro, you know, suddenly you're on the same level as everybody else. So right. Knowing everybody and, and, you know, knowing who's connected to who, which is sort of, you know, like the six degrees of, of Kevin Bacon game. Right. Know, everybody's super interrelated. You know, you've got, you know, Mike Marts just, you know, went back to Marvel after being at DC for five years and, you know, has his old gig where he used to be before he was at DC. You know, there's a lot of jumping back and forth across the street. Right. Uh, which won't be across the street once DC's in Burbank. But, right it's it's you know you never know there there are people who are you know editors now who'll be creators later and things like that so you know starting to get to know people and just you know getting a sense of what it's actually like you know being on the inside of that and working in the industry it's it's really nice and sometimes it's just nice to make friends not even for like a true networking sense Mm -hmm. they're just great people like I'm friends with some fans you know, right. not, not even like fans of mine, just comic fans right. who I've met at conventions because, you know, everyone's hanging out at the bar and you meet them and you talk to them and you like them. You know, I don't want anything from them. I don't think they want anything from me. It's just someone cool to know. So I, I definitely recommend conventions are fantastic experience.
0: Excellent. Um, did you actually use the word kerfuffle on Twitter the other day?
1: I'm sure that I did. I'm a big <laughs> fan of kerfuffling. <laughs> nice.
0: Um. Okay. Lastly, because we're start, starting to run out of time and I don't want to keep you. Uh, we have rapid fire, which is just some quick questions that deserves a quick answer.
1: Sounds dangerous. Let's
0: do yeah. it. Um, what's cooler? Samurai, vampires,
1: or pirates? I mean, vampire, samurai are the coolest when you combine them. When a samurai is bitten and becomes a vampire, vampire, samurai.
0: I'll take it. Which, which person is more tragic? rob stark from game of thrones or rob ford the mayor of toronto
1: i have not seen or read game of thrones so i will go with rob ford mayor of toronto (laughs) are you
0: kidding me you have to see game of thrones or read it they're brilliant it's brilliant i
1: I am told both are amazing and i keep meaning to but there's so many things you know it's like do i watch true detective do i start watching that now or try and watch three seasons of Game of Thrones before season four comes out.
0: I gotta tell you, with Game of Thrones, if you start watching it, you probably won't stop. It's one of those things that it's one of the binge viewing. It, it will just happen. It's 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 really really brilliant.
1: All right, I'll I'll give it a shot.
0: Um, your favorite Hawk, Dominique Wilkins or Mookie Blaylock? And I'm just kidding. I just wanted to say Mookie Blaylock, but who's your favorite Hawk?
1: Uh, I mean, Dominique is is you know probably all time, but. Uh... I always like Steve Smith from the '90s okay. teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's great. Um, best comic of the year last year that you read
1: <laughs> that that I read. Mm-hmm. Um, again, just like movies, I am not current. Yeah. I'll go with whatever Lock and Key series was out last year,
0: okay.
1: which I, yeah, I guess uh, it just wrapped up last year. Yeah, Lock and Key to me is is just uh, I have to call it an achievement. It's just a startlingly good book that, you know, those two guys, uh, Joe Hill and, and um, Gabriel Hernandez, are, are so in control of the medium and their story. It's, it's frustrating as a creator to just read it and go like, wow, right, They just deliver all the time. And it's so good. And it feels effortless. Like as a reader, I'm not like picking at the se- or reader, editor, creator, whatever you want to call it, right? I'm not picking at the seams of it to try and go like, how I'm just sort of like, slack-jawed and reading in amazement and then getting angry that nothing I do is anywhere close to that good so lock and key is fantastic if anyone hasn't read it pick Excellent.
0: it up um and lastly best burrito in Los Angeles oh wow you're a burrito connoisseur I, I is, am what's, a burrito connoisseur what's the and I haven't one? tried
1: the burrito box automated burrito machine but wait, uh I what is that
0: it. wait wait Step back, step back. What is the burrito-automated machine?
1: It, it's not as cool as it sounds, but there's a company that just launched something called Burrito Box, which is an ATM for burritos, like essentially the Sprinkles Cupcake ATM.
0: Right, no, That are pretty awesome.
1: There's two locations, but it's actually one of those uh, EVOL, E-V-O-L, like frozen burritos. Yeah. And then you can select from a bunch of different varieties and then choose like an extra, like a sour cream or a guac or something else. Huh. So I... I have to try it. I'm sure it's just a frozen burrito that gets heated up, but it comes from a robot. That's pretty darn cool. Yeah. Um, man, I best burrito. I'm I'm sure it's some taco cart that I haven't been to. But in terms of like the chains, I like Freebirds a lot. They have a lot of great fresh flavors. Yeah. And I never have a bad experience there. So. I, okay. I mean, how can you go wrong with a burrito? Is there a bad burrito in L.A.?
0: Um, I had a burrito at a gas station one time on a that had like pebbles or something, and it. it was pretty bad. But other than that, yeah, probably
1: not. Yeah. Well, well, let me give you one more gas station food piece of advice: is yeah. don't buy the sushi.
0: Why I didn't do that? I didn't do that. <laughs> Are you speaking from personal experience?
1: No, but I I, I know some people. <laughs> that you know it's like you, especially if you do any like cross country trips, you're tired. Right. You're like, eh. I just need some food. Ooh, sushi. That sounds good. <laughs> Famous. It might be last okay words. from Trader Joe's. It's not okay from, you know, Arco. Right. Just don't do it.
0: Yeah. That's, that's just bad inherently. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, that's all the time we have for now. Thanks for joining us tonight, Rob.
1: Uh, thanks for having me, Kevin. I appreciate it.
0: Um, you can follow Rob on Twitter, um, at Rob Levin, and check out his website, the uh, awesomely named Roblev.in. Uh, and please visit our website at scriptsandscribes.com for more information on all of our guests, uh, archived podcasts, and lots of other great written interviews and information on writing. And if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at script scribes. There's no and in the middle there, just at script scribe. Thanks for listening.